Hello and welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. We are here to reveal God in ways that help everyday people like you. Whether you're a Christian or not, we believe God is not far from any one of us and that he wants to be found. You don't have to look a certain way or have it together to become one of us. We don't have it all together either, but we do have hope in the one who does. Jesus loved everyone, no matter who they were or what they had done, and we want to be just like that. If you'd like to connect with us, stay after the message, and I'll tell you how. If we're singing in a worship, you can have a seat. Well, good morning. Just want to say it's uh, great to have my daughter and son-in-law today. Yeah, you guys want to want to stand up and say something or come sing a song? They they could do that, by the way. Um, yeah, I didn't put two and two together and go, okay, they're going to be here on the day I'm preaching, so I had to scratch a few illustrations, but. Just to, pr- to protect you guys. <laughs> oh. Well, um, we've been talking about. So I've got a little feedback. That's not what we've been talking about. Um, so we've been talking about temptation last week and now this week. So this is kind of a part two. If you missed last week, you can catch it online and, and listen to it. But um, just to rehearse just briefly, what I tried to show last week is how temptation works. And I refer to temptation uh, on two levels, really. One that's more consistent with like an acute level like what we talk about in terms of illnesses, and, and the other in keeping with a more chronic sort of level of temptation. And I really think the acute temptations come from and arise out of that more chronic condition that, that we have. And that chronic condition, I believe, is, is this whole tug and pull that we experience to do life apart from God. And then there's all sorts of flare-ups, if you will, along the way where we have temptations that, that really are intense and they're pressurized and they, they really work to catapult us in that same direction. So that's my working theory, at least, and I think it holds true to Scripture. I think the nature of our lives, in essence, is one of temptation. Um, every day, we, we tend to meet and greet temptation. So we're going to keep talking about um, temptation today. Now, one thing I said last week, too, was that you know, I believe the root cause of temptation is unbelief. And, and, and what I mean to say by that is temptation attacks us in a place of want or need, right? So, so if we really believed that God was all we needed... If we really believed that, if we really stepped into the gospel teachings that are ours because of Christ, then we would not be in want. 
as the Lord being our shepherd. We wouldn't be in want. So, so we live with this sort of disconnect, and many times we get separated from what we've been taught, and so we have to reconnect to it, and, and we have to be reminded. That's why it's good to come to church every week, right? That's why it's good to go to your small groups, because a lot of this is about being reminded of what we already know. So, so unbelief is a real issue and a real problem that leads to many temptations. But typically when we think of unbelief, we, we think of what we're doing with our minds or not doing with our minds. We're, we're not mentally connecting to the truths that we've been taught. And, and so that's true. But there's another issue that we encounter in terms of temptation, and it has more to do with the heart. And that's really where I want to focus today. Now, I really ultimately do not believe that the mind and the heart are, are you know, are separate entities. I think they all, all of it functions together, and, and there's a more holistic understanding of who we are that we should uh, embrace. But since we do tend to talk about them separately, I want to do that today, and I want to focus on the heart. I certainly don't think it's going to hurt uh, to do that. So I want to read the passage, our passage that we looked at last week, and then we're going to pray and get started. Uh, James chapter 1, if you want to turn in your Bibles or your devices, James chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. Uh, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has Promise to those who love him. Uh, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth. Uh, brings forth death. Um, Let's pray. Father, um, as always, we look to you as our help, as our comforter, as our um, um, leader, as our instructor, as our teacher. Father, all of those things uh, you are to us, and, and so we come to you in a dependent way, asking that you provide for us now. Father, you've given us, uh, your word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet, so please shine your truth down upon us and, um, and, and do your good work of sanctification in us and transforming us all the while and causing us to respond to you by your spirit in Christ's name, amen. Uh, Just to repeat a couple of qualifiers from last week. Uh, First of all, verse 15, I want you to notice that temptation is not sin. And I think that's an important thing to point out because a lot of times temptation feels like sin. If you're tempted, you, you might think that's sin, but the act of being tempted is not sin in and of itself. It's the step just before sin. And so there's this progression. You sin, and then uh, when, you're, when you're pulled away by your own desire, and then when, when that is, it conceives or it, it, 
It takes on uh, life, if you will, if you entertain it enough and, and you start thinking about how you can carry out this particular temptation, that's when it starts becoming sin. And then the other thing is, notice that God does not tempt anyone. And that's the point I think that James makes because James has talked about trials previous to this passage. And what happens with trials, trials that God brings into our lives, is there's temptation on the heels of trials. The two go hand in hand. If, if you're in a trial, you're going to be tempted. You can just count on that. And so a lot of times in those temptations, uh, we, we feel like uh, pursuing maybe something we, we wouldn't ordinarily pursue. We feel like giving up on God and walking away from God. And so we might think that because we're going through these temptations, well, God brought the trial He's responsible for the temptations, and, and, and James says that's not true, okay? God does not tempt you with evil. He does test you, but when he tests you, it's to draw you closer to him ultimately. It's to grow you and mature you in your faith. It's not to tear you down. It's not to destroy you. It's not to bring an end to you. There's somebody else that can do that for you, right? And that's Satan, so when we ask the question then, where does temptation come from? We know that Satan certainly can tempt us. We see that throughout the scriptures. But in this passage, James is not concerned with Satan. He's concerned with you. So where does temptation come from? James says it comes from you. It comes from within you. You house the ability to tempt yourself. Each person, verse 14, is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. You're the source. And it happens on the level of desire. So again, this means it's not simply a head thing, right? It, it's a heart thing because we're talking about desire. By the way, there's, there's nothing wrong with desire, it's, it's misplaced desire or desire run amok that we need to concern ourselves with. God has given you the capacity to, to long for things and to desire things. You know, there's nothing wrong with desiring sex within the boundaries that God has ordained, right? It's when it gets out of bounds that it becomes a problem. So in and of itself, desire is, is not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. But the temptation that we're talking about happens on this level. It's a heart level. It's not simply rational. It's affectional. It, so in other words, it's not, it's not simply you should know better, right? It's also... In relation to your heart and your desires, not simply your head. Now, I think James alludes to this, like we see in verse 14, but John expounds on it a bit in 1 John uh, chapter 2. And here's what he says there. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh 
And the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. So there's this kind of love, even, that is experienced whenever we're tempted. We're, we're tempted in keeping with our desires, and that's emotional, if you will, and it gets into the into the emotions, and then there's this love that associates with temptation as we see it in our flesh, in our being, in the world around us. But it's not simply that that temptation plays on your emotions, right? It's, it's not simply that. And we know what it is to be emotionally tugged in a tempting way towards something. Here's what it's saying, and this is this is pretty eye-opening, really. I was, I was actually, when I studied, I was shocked. Um, it, here's what it's saying. It's saying temptation actually arises from your emotions. And, and emotions is not the best word, really. Because emotions are kind of, are kind of temporary and uh, more superficial, what it's really getting at is that temptation arises from your affections. And affections have more to do with what we cherish in life, right? So um, affections can be emotional, but they don't have to be emotional. But all of us are affectionate about certain things, um, what we treasure, that is, in our hearts. So, the very reason, think about this, the very reason we can be tempted with something is because we love and desire what we're being tempted with, right? And, and you know this to be true because there are things that don't tempt you, right? Now, personally, I'm not tempted by food. I mean, I got to eat, of course, but I don't think about food. It's, you know, I just do it routinely. I'm not tempted by it. I've never been that way, and that's no credit to me. That's just a genetic thing, a DNA thing, I guess. But I'm tempted in other ways. So we're not all tempted alike, and the temptations have a lot to do with what we cherish and what we treasure in our lives. Here's another consideration that helps, helps us understand how it works on the desire level. Um, temptations involve choices, right? I mean, that's really part and parcel of temptation is choices. We're presented with a choice between good and evil. We've all seen the little angels, right, that the good angel, the bad angel, and one's telling you, hey, do this, and the other's like, no, no, do this. Now, obviously, that's somebody's silly way of representing a really profound truth. It's, it's true. There's, there's that tug of war that happens. And here's the way choosing works. We always choose what we want most at any given time. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, one of, one of the great theologians in our country back in the 1700s, says this, Human beings, 
as responsible moral, moral agents, always choose to do what they're most strongly inclined to do at any given time. In fact, it is impossible for them not to do what they're most inclined or, or disposed to do. We choose what we want most. Now, you'll have to go home and, and think about that one a little more if, if you like. I don't have time to delve into it. But I have thought about this quite often, and I believe it's definitely true. Even when your options are limited and not good, you still choose what you want most. So like, as an example, you can, you can drive to church and drive into the parking lot intending, choosing to park in a parking spot in the parking lot, but all those spots may be full, right? Well, at that point, your choices are limited. So you can choose to either go across the street and park, or you can choose to go to another church that might have sufficient parking lots or parking spaces, or, or you can choose to go home. Okay, so now you're, you don't have the initial choice, but now you have three other choices. Which one of those are you going to choose? Well, the idea is that you're going to choose the one of those three that appeals to you most. You're basically going to do what you want to do, what's in your heart to do, what you desire to do. So this is how it works with temptations. When you choose to succumb to a temptation, it's a value choice. It really is. Like in that moment, if you choose the evil that you know you shouldn't do, you're choosing that because that's exactly what you want. It's what you want. All the while, you may be struggling with the choice. Right? I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't do that. Uh, oh, I'm going to regret it. I shouldn't do it. But you ultimately, if you choose it, you did it because you placed value on that thing and you chose to do it. This is, this is what it means to say that that temptation arises out of our desires. So, if we want to resist temptation, and I believe every believer wants to resist temptation, don't we? Then what must happen? In light of what I just said, what must happen? That's right. Your affections have to change. And somebody else is getting on it. What you desire, what you want most has to change. What you value in this world, what you treasure has to change. That is absolutely key. Now, typically, we take this outside-in approach. In terms of transformation. In terms like you come to our evangelical church or you come into the evangelical movement and we talk about change, right? And transformation. Sanctification is a word I use in my prayer. All that has to do with you going from one place in your life to another place, right? In terms of your walk with the Lord. 
Um, it's an out, our approach is typically, though, outside in. And in my estimation, a lot of times it never gets in. So what we do is we, we take this approach. We say, okay, you want to follow the Lord? So we say, hey, don't taste, don't touch, or don't handle, which is a condensed way of saying, you know, change your behavior. In essence, it's behavior modification. That, that's how we typically approach it in our evangelical world. It characterizes a lot of evangelical teaching and preaching. The problem is, is it doesn't work. I hope you realize that. It doesn't work. And I've got scripture to prove it. How about Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 to 23? If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Don't touch or don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. Now notice this, the next slide. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Did you see that? I mean, these things sound good and they look good, right? When I tell you don't do this or, or do that, or when, when I take that particular approach, it looks good on the outside, but internally it's of no value. If that's our simple approach, it's, it's basically external. And it's only skin deep. So simple behavior modification does not truly modify your behavior because it doesn't get down to the root of the problem. Now, we've talked about this before uh, in, in various ways. You know, behavior modification is what you use on children, right? You say to your children, do this, don't do that. Stop doing that. Start doing that. Go clean up your room. But, Dad, I don't want to hear it. Go clean up your room. Do it now. I mean, there, there is no dialogue because they're, they're children. They just need to do what they've been told. But when we come of age, you start dealing with a teenager Simple behavior modification doesn't work. Now, I get it. Sometimes you need to tell those teens, this is how it's going to be. And I've done it. Amen. <laughs> but I know that if I'm going to win my daughter's heart or my son's heart, I have to go beyond that. I've got to get to their heart. I'll never forget one time when I saw this so vividly. My son has been different than my daughter. He's always been of a, of a rebellious kind of nature. He, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we were having an episode one day, and we were sitting at the kitchen table, and, and I was, tr you know, him being deaf, I was trying to sign to him, like, this is the path you need to go down, not this path. 
And if you go down this path, at the end, you can get that sign, right? Fire. But at the end over here, man, there's glory. And, and I know I'm not getting through. You know, he, he had done something. I forget what it is. And the Lord impressed on my heart in that moment that I need to start speaking to his heart. And, and I did. I, I, I did a 180, and I got way softer, and I started appealing to his heart. And do you know he got emotional, and he began to, to listen. He softened up. That, that taught me something. Like, true change is an inside-out thing, right? So here's how it applies to what I'm talking about. If you want to resist temptation, like if you really want to resist temptation, it's not ultimately, now you might set up some, some guidelines, don't look at this, you know, stay away from over there. It, it doesn't lead to anything that's good. And you might actually do that and it might save you for the moment, but you know there's going to be another flare up down the road. You, you know, actually, if you're even able to gain victory over this particular area in your life, it's going to crop up somewhere else. There's going to be a new temptation, a new pursuit at some point. So if you're going to be free, though, of the, the ultimate thing that causes temptation, which is your desires are tied up with what you're being tempted in regards to that's what has to be addressed. That's what has to change. You can't rely on the elementary and external things. You, you must look to and focus on Christ, which is interesting. In Colossians chapter 3, um, Paul goes on to say, this is right after what I read you a, a bit ago, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. So, so don't, like, don't approach your transformation in keeping with, with these regulations. That can't be your focus. You have to approach it this way. You've got to turn your attention to the things that are above where Christ is seated. At the right hand of God, set your minds to the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when he appears, he who is your life, then you'll also appear with him in glory. You see, you see that? Like the life that you seek, the life that you want, being free of all these temptations and, and failures, these sins, is in Christ. It, it's, and that's where your focus needs to be. He has your life, which is actually his life. And, and you're to partake of that. Now, <clears throat> there's this incredible sermon that you should look up and read sometime. It's by a Scottish minister um, around 1800, and his name was Thomas Chalmers. And the title of his sermon is called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. 
<laughs> the title says it all. It really does. I love that title. I love this sermon. I heard it years ago preached, believe it or not, by David Wilkerson, if you know who he is. And here's what he says. There are two ways. So this is lengthy, but bear with me. There are two ways in which a practical moralist may attempt to displace from the human heart its love for the world. Either by a demonstration of the world's vanity, so that the heart shall be prevailed upon simply to withdraw its regard from an object that is not worthy of it. Or by setting forth another option, even God, as more worthy of its attachment. So that the heart shall be prevailed upon not to resign an old affection, but to exchange an old affection for a new one. From the constitution of our nature, the former method is altogether incompetent and ineffectual. And the latter method will alone suffice for the rescue and recovery of the heart from the wrong affection that domineers over it. Did you get that? Here, here, here's a condensed sentence. The love of the world cannot be expunged by a mere demonstration of the world's worthlessness. It can only be supplanted by the love of that which is more worthy than itself. So in other words, I can tell you all day long how bad the world is. I can tell you all day long how, you know, how crazy your choices are and how stupid they are and how destructive they are. I can tell you all day long, and that's not ultimately what's going to set you free. Because, you see, your love hasn't been addressed. Your love for that thing hasn't changed. That has to be addressed. And that has to be expelled and has to be kicked out. The strong man has to be kicked out and replaced with a new man. And that new man is Jesus. And love for Jesus Love for Jesus, desire for Jesus has to replace desire for the world. Now, is there anything more worthy in this entire world than Jesus himself? Or let me put it this way. Is there anything in this entire world of more worth, of more value than Jesus himself? Well, we know intellectually the answer to that. But if you're given over to some temptation and you're pursuing a particular sin in your life and that's just kind of your routine, then you don't really believe that. And you're not really tasting of that in your life. You're not experiencing that. Colossians 2.3 says, In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, if you, if you begin to seek Jesus in such a way that you're desiring for him to be your supreme value and 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 your greatest desire and joy. Like, that's what you want. Here's what you're going to find, okay? It's not that your simple observation of who he is is what's going to 
make the difference. Now, it, it will, right? But he, here's how it works. It, it's, it's more about this. When you begin to enjoy Jesus personally, what you will find is that he is the one that you've always wanted. He, he's the deepest level. Like he meets you at the deepest level. And when you encounter him, you're, you're satisfied because he truly is what you've always longed for. The scripture will say it best. So, so let me read this passage for you. Solomon, Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. On, now, this is the lady speaking, you know, the bride-to-be. On my bed by night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. So we're talking about longing here. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? And scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and I would not let him go. Isn't that incredible? Obviously, she's talking about Solomon, but you know that we got to look past this passage and realize that this is about Jesus. When you find Jesus, you find the one that your soul truly has been looking for. I mean, we do say he's the answer, right? The answer to what? The answer to me. I'm his bride. Right? You know, we talk about finding our, our soulmate in life. You will never find a greater soulmate than Jesus. Listen, <clears throat> have you heard this saying, Christianity is, is not religion, it's relationship? Have you ever heard that? Well, you know, I've been in an evangelical church all my life, and, and that is a very common phrase in evangelical churches. It's not religion. So in other words, we're not like the Catholics. We're not like the Lutherans who just kind of go through motions, right? We have a true relationship. We have a personal relationship with Jesus, which I find interesting, by the way. I've said it before that, you know, Yes, we're all about relationship, but we can't hardly say anything personal about him. So are we really about relationship? But I've, I found a better way to say it. Christianity is a love affair. That's what it is. It's a love affair. And being in love with Jesus. So much so that you wouldn't dare 
right, entertain sinful choices. Now, I know, again, initially I said that, that we do, we're prone to wander and we're, we're prone to stray. So I get it. We still fall short. But yet the answer, though, is found right here. If you want to say no to temptation, there is no other way, ultimately. You have to go to the source. And the source is, is within you, right? That, that's where it comes from. And the question is, what, what are you loving in this world more than Jesus? What, what are you loving that's, what's of greater value to you than Jesus? And if you're choosing other things, temptation, in other words, is getting the best of you, then something has your heart other than Jesus. Now, here's, a, here's the last verse, verse 12. Uh, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast. So this is the verse that starts our passage. Steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So this is going to get into a bit of how you go about loving Jesus. Now, first of all, I would say that it has to be a gospel love. In other words, it has to go through the gospel, through all the promises that he's made to you. And your enjoyment of those promises Right? You're savoring those promises in your life. And here's another example. Does this verse cause you trouble? Let me just do, do, like, do you take this verse for what it seems to be saying? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Have any of you ever failed? So are you blessed? Oh, okay, well, let's see. Maybe you succeeded enough to get blessed so that the, the scales balance, right? Or is it that we serve a perfect, holy God and that just one failure is going to do you in? So it doesn't matter if you had 100 successes and 50 failures. It doesn't matter, right? Like, you're in trouble, you see what I'm saying? Blessed is the man. So when I read who stands up under trial, like, well, I've failed. So how can I put confidence in this verse? Well, let me ask you this. Who is the man that has stood up under trial? <laughs> who is the man? That did not succumb to one, even one tiny temptation. Jesus. He never strayed from his mission. And he never denied his heavenly father. Absolutely, thoroughly, completely. He's the man who is blessed here. He stood up under trial. So what am I to do? I'm to receive my righteousness or lack of righteousness from him, right? 
because he gives it to us. He says, here, here, take my righteousness. I did this for you. All, all the steps I took on this earth and all the victories that, that I was able to achieve, I did it for you. All the pain I endured, all the suffering, it was for you. It, it was so that I might attain to this righteousness, this perfect righteousness, and now I give it to you. So that you can be blessed. Because you know what? You have stood up under trial. How can that be? Because Jesus did and his righteousness is mine. So what we do is we go forth with the knowledge of all that Jesus has done for us. And that's how we fight our temptations. In fact, I think the way that you actually stand up under trial is, is you get up and you keep trying. Because you can. Because Jesus achieved that right, that ability for you to do that. In other words... What is, what is steadfast under trial? Is it that you're steadfast in continuing to look to Jesus for what you need? Is that what the steadfastness is that's encouraged here? How about, how about this? Um, there, there is no condemnation and guilt for those who are in Christ. Right? When you fail, guess what you experience? Condemnation and guilt. Right? And you know what you got to do with that? If you're going to go forward, you know what you got to do with it? You got to give it to Jesus. And you got to get free of that because what that will do is that will create pressure for you. And then you'll look for some sort of relief to get out from under the pressure. You're going after another temptation. My point is that Jesus is your victor. He is the one who has stood the test. And he's the one who provides a way of escape for us as we struggle with temptations. Are you struggling... Today, I, well, I know somebody is, right? I mean, somebody here is struggling. And I would go on to guess that maybe a number of you are struggling. Right now, you're, you're experiencing some really intense temptation in your life. Jesus is your way of escape. It's through Jesus. It's through relationship with him. It's through that love affair, growing your love for him, that, that you're actually separated from what's pulling you toward a different desire, another desire. So I want to pray for you now. And, and I don't know, like, You know, I want you, like if you're struggling today, I want you to be free like right now. And I want to pray that God will set you free in that way. At the same time, I know that your long-term fix is not, you know, these, you know, intervention type 
rescue prayers. That, that's not where it is. Your long-term solution is, is growing your desire for Jesus so that he becomes the greatest thing in, in this world that you value. So let, let's pray. And uh, you pray along with me. Father, I know that there are people here who are really struggling right now, and there's temptation right in front of them. Um, like I said, temptation is, is a way of life, really. It, we're constantly experiencing uh, alternatives and, and choices that, that are inconsistent with who you are and inconsistent with the life that you've called us to. And so what I, I pray right now, Father, is for any, you know, temptation, once again, is not sin. It's a dangerous place, though. It's not sin. But for those who've crossed the line and who have sinned, Father, I pray that they would repent right now before you. That's the right thing to do. That's the thing that you call us to do, Father. So we repent of our sins. We acknowledge them before you. And we say, oh, God, I, I don't need to do this anymore. I don't need to continue down this path. I need to turn from what I'm doing. It's destructive and it leads to death. So repent in the name of Jesus. And then let's acknowledge together that, that true change is going to happen on the heart level. It's, it's going to happen as we look deeply into our souls and we examine who we are and we, we find out what we really love in life. And we also give that up to you and we, we repent of that. And, and we say, Lord, that thing is what's driving all these choices I'm making. That's the thing that I've set up as, as the Lord of my heart. And I repent of that as well. And, and now, Father, what I do is I turn my attention to Jesus. And I ask that, that you cause Jesus and my understanding of Jesus to grow and to grow and to grow and become the, the largest thing in my heart so that it consumes me and, and squeezes out everything else. Give us that new affection we pray for today. Father, um, we're talking about things that can only happen by your power, by your might. We can't change ourselves. You're the one who has to do the surgery. So we look to you. We look to you. We cry out to you. We know that you love us. You came to save us. So please do that. Please do that in your name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to today's message. I hope you were encouraged, and I'd like to personally invite you to attend one of our services here at Cross Point. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at 11,000 West Oklahoma Avenue in the great city of West Dallas. Our people are warm and welcoming, and we're all learning what it means to follow Jesus together. You can learn more about us at crosspointwestdallas.com where you'll find more episodes of our podcast and you can watch services on our YouTube channel. We live stream every Sunday morning at 10. Until next time, I'm Pastor Dave and I wish you a blessed day and I hope to be able to meet you soon.